So when I was a new Christian, early on in my faith, my church, the church that I was going to, talked a lot about the need for us to share our faith, the need for us to evangelize the lost, to share our faith with our friends, our family, our co-workers, whoever was in our lives. It's a big part of what it, uh, my early church experience. It's a big focus of sermons that were preached, uh, Bible studies, Sunday school, uh, youth group talks, all of that. One of the big things that we focused a lot about was sharing our faith. But unfortunately, we talked a lot about the need to do it, but we never talked a whole lot about how to do it. We're just told to go out and and do it. Early on, for me anyway, it was a lot of trial and error, and that led to a number of, how should I say, really awkward encounters, really awkward conversations with people in my life. And after a while, I began to assume that evangelism involved a lot of debate, a lot of arguing, a little bit of begging. If I'm being really honest, it actually looked like a whole lot of begging on my part. But those early attempts for me to share my faith just it was awkward, it was messy, there was varying degrees of, of success, it was just really, really challenging. But as I've grown older, and what I hope on some level is a little bit wiser through the years, I found some ways to think a little bit differently about how I used to do evangelism And my hope now is that I'm a little less awkward and a lot less confrontational. And I hope that it involves a little less begging on my part and a whole lot more listening. But what really helped me to move beyond all of that sort of early messiness about sharing my faith was looking at scripture to help clarify how evangelism should be done and applying that to how I do evangelism now. One of those stories that's been really helpful for me to help me sort of frame this discussion is that of Philip in the Ethiopian found in Acts chapter 8. And as we go through this story together this morning, we're going to consider some principles for evangelism to help us think about the when, where, what, and how of sharing our faith with others. Now, I want to be really upfront and clear from the beginning. This is not a step-by-step guide in how to do evangelism. Because the truth is, sharing our faith is very, very contextual. Which means there's no one-size-fits-all approach to it. There have been many, many books over the years written on the subject of how we share our faith, articles, blogs, seminars, conferences, workshops. There have been all kinds of different formulas derived for sharing our faith. But 
the truth is there is just no magic formula. There is no one size fits all to it. It just doesn't work that way. But there are definitely some, I think, underlying guiding principles that can help prepare us to share our faith with others. So if you would, I would invite you to turn with me in your Bible or on your Bible apps on your phones, if you would, if you have it, to Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Again, Acts chapter 8, verse 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in the charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip uh, Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. A little bit of context, I think, for the story to help us better understand what's going on is that if you remember... From Acts chapter 1, Jesus said to the disciples that they would be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, shortly after the birth of the church at Pentecost, persecution started happening against the followers of Jesus. That persecution came upon the church in a couple of different ways, but thus far in Acts, Luke mainly addresses that persecution as coming from the Jewish religious establishment who wanted to see Christianity eradicated so that people like Saul, who would eventually become Paul, would hunt down Christians to imprison or to kill them. And so we see a chapter earlier in Acts chapter 7, Stephen, 
being stoned to death for his faith as Saul watched on. And with this happening in Jerusalem, the disciples scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Again, this is the beginning of where Jesus said that they would be his witnesses. And this happened as Saul and others continued the persecution of the church. And Luke tells us in Acts chapter 8 verse 4 that wherever they went, they preached the word. Which brings us to Philip. Now, there are folks who assume that this Philip was one of the first 12 disciples that traveled with Jesus, but it isn't. We know this for two very different reasons. First, in Acts chapter 6, the church appoints seven deacons. One of those deacons was Stephen, who we just talked about being stoned. And another was a man named Philip. And the other reason we know that this isn't Philip the Apostle was because in Acts 1, we see that the apostles stayed in Jerusalem, whereas Philip did not. Now Philip starts preaching in Samaria, and through his ministry there are many who had, or he had cast out many demons, and he had helped heal the lame and the paralyzed. And then, all of a sudden, Philip is given a message from an angel to head south to Jerusalem. The angel doesn't tell him why he's going, or even where he's going exactly. He simply gave him a road to travel to. Imagine for just a second how much faith that would have taken on Philip's part to be obedient. It's not unlike an angel of the Lord appearing to you and saying, go down Freeport Road. No purpose given, no particular destination on Freeport Road given, just go down Freeport Road. That's not a particular, uh, particularly easy hike considering the hills, the curves, the cars that are going up and down the road, often at speeds greater than they should be. Philip was a great man of faith. The angel of the Lord came to him, gave him a very simple set of directions, didn't know where that was going to lead him, but he responded in faithfulness anyway. Which leads me to our first evangelism principle this morning. Principle number one, trust God. What we see here from the beginning is that Philip placed his trust in God. He didn't know where he was going or what he was doing. He simply trusted God with the directions that he was given, regardless of the destination that was before him. And I think one of the scariest parts of evangelism for us, of, of sharing our faith for us, is the unknown. When we're not sure how people will react when we're not sure if we're going to be able to answer all the questions that are put before us, when we aren't sure if they're actually going to listen to what we have to say, when, they're, when we're not sure if they're even going to care about what we have to say, 
we aren't sure if people respond in the way that we hope that they will. We're afraid of the unknown sometimes, aren't we? But I think we can learn from Philip here. I think we can learn from Philip that we don't have to be afraid. That we can trust God with our fears, with all of our fears. Now that doesn't mean that we won't experience rejection when we share our faith with others. And it doesn't mean that we won't be mocked or laughed at because of of our faith. It doesn't mean that we'll have an easy time of it or that people will will respond in the way that we hope. It simply means that we can trust God regardless of the outcome. That we can trust that God's purposes will ultimately win out in the end. Even when we aren't sure what's happening around us. Even when we aren't sure what's going on. God is absolutely never surprised or caught unaware by whatever situations we find ourselves in. We can trust him. And we also can see in our story this morning, that we can trust the work of the Spirit in our lives and in the lives of those who we are being led to evangelize. The Holy Spirit led Philip to where he needed to be and to who he needed to share with. God was at work in Philip, but he was also at work in the Ethiopian as well. Now, we can't usually see what God is up to in someone else's heart. It's honestly probably hard enough for us to understand what's going on in our own hearts. But we can trust that the Holy Spirit is going to be at work in the heart of the person that we are sharing our faith with. It doesn't mean that they will have an immediate or instant come-to-faith experience It might simply be that we are called to plant the seeds of faith in somebody's life. We might not ever actually get to see the fruit of those conversations in people's lives. But we can trust that God will use those seeds that we have planted in that person's life. And it might take them the the whole of their lifetime to get to that place in their lives where they decide to make a choice of faith, a choice to follow Jesus. But just as much as the Spirit is at work in us, we can trust that the Spirit is at work in the people that we are sharing our faith with. Evangelism begins by trusting God with the process and the outcome. For those of us who like to control processes and outcomes, this is difficult. If we are people who like to control Putting our faith and trust in God for the result can be a little bit challenging for us. But it's just the reality of evangelism. As much as we might argue perfectly or we might have all of the answers, we can't force somebody into faith. We just can't. And so we trust and we rely on the Spirit to do what the Spirit is going to do. It requires us to place 
our trust, our faith in God. Principle number two. When we're thinking about evangelism, the Bible is a really important tool for us. We learn from Philip that the Bible is a formidable tool in our evangelism. The Ethiopian was reading the book of Isaiah, and he didn't fully understand what he was reading. Philip was able to take what he read and expound upon the story of Jesus, the good news of Jesus from the passage that the Ethiopian was reading in Isaiah. This is in part why reading and knowing the scriptures is really important for us. It's an amazing tool that the Spirit can use in us and through us to prepare hearts, to challenge, to convict, to encourage, to bring hope. It's a means of grace that works in the heart of those we are evangelizing to draw them closer to God. Philip used the Old Testament to share the story of Jesus to help lead the Ethiopian to Jesus. And the Bible can work in that way for us as well. Now understand, simply quoting the scriptures at people, particularly in anger, in, in unloving ways, isn't going to do a whole lot. However, thoughtfully integrating the scripture into our conversations, into our testimonies, and most importantly, living the scriptures are all helpful ways to communicate God's word to others. But it requires us to know what the scriptures say, and it requires us to apply them to our lives. The Bible is sometimes used as a weapon to clobber people, to make Christians feel superior to other Christians, or to allow Christians to feel superior to non-Christians. Historically, it's been used to manipulate people and to justify horrific behavior like slavery or spousal abuse. What we sometimes miss is that the Bible serves to do exactly what Philip did with the Ethiopian. It should be used to tell the story of Jesus, to point people to him. In the end, that's why we study it. That's why we read it. That's why we preach it and teach it. It's why we encourage people to live by it. Because it points people to Jesus Christ. Because at the end, that's all any of us really have anyway, isn't it? That's what Philip did. He used the scriptures and pointed the Ethiopian to Jesus. He didn't wield it as a weapon. It was a tool he used to tell the most important story in all of creation. So when we think about evangelism in our own lives, we need to make sure that Scripture plays a significant role and that it's a tool that we use to point people to Jesus. Principle number three. Evangelism needs to be a regular practice in our lives. We learn from Philip's example that evangelism, it's a way of life. That doesn't always mean that every waking moment should be dedicated to sharing out our, our faith. But it does mean that evangelism should be a part of the regular rhythms of our life. Philip was preaching the gospel 
before he encountered the Ethiopian. He preached to the Ethiopian, and he continued to preach the gospel to others after he left the Ethiopian. The experience wasn't a one-off experience for him. It was a part of who he was. It was a part of his lifestyle. If we want to be effective at evangelism, part of it is simply committing to doing committing to overcome that fear and making it a regular part of our lives as we engage with family and friends and co-workers and peers. Again, that doesn't mean that you have to spend every single moment quoting the Bible at folks or every single moment always inviting them to church. It means that as you live your life and as you are led, you engage with people in such a way that you point them to Jesus. Sometimes evangelism begins with an encouraging hug. Sometimes it's helping to meet a physical need, practically showing that God loves people and that you love them. Sometimes it's sharing with others how Jesus has changed your life. We don't always know exactly how God is going to use us or how the seeds of love and compassion that we plant in a person's life will come to fruition. Evangelism, bearing witness to Jesus, should be a regular practice for us, whatever form it's going to take. It can take many forms and look very different for each of us, but it needs to be a part of the rhythms of our life. Principle number four, evangelism can happen literally anywhere. In Philip's case, it was in a chariot alongside the road. There are absolutely no limits to the places that God can and will work. God can use us to share about Jesus at any time and in any place. Sometimes we make the mistake of thinking it happens exclusively in the church building on Sunday morning or at youth group, or in a Bible study. It doesn't happen exclusively at revival services or evangelistic services. It happens around tables, in offices, on car rides, in lines at the grocery store, or on front porches or back decks. Anywhere that people meet is a place where the gospel can be shared and accepted. I've had the opportunity to share the gospel unexpectedly in the line at Walmart, in a church lobby after church, in a Starbucks, in a Chick-fil-A, the altar at a youth event, with a co-worker over golf, with friends over board games, and probably most unexpectedly in a comic book shop after someone received a really difficult phone call about their grandma being very sick. If we are paying attention to what God is doing in the lives of people, and pay attention to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, then literally any place can be a place where the gospel is shared. If Philip can share in a chariot on the side of the road, God can use us to share it just about anywhere. It's our job to be open to the possibilities that are presented to us, to be open to the work of the Spirit in us and in others. 
Principle number five. The gospel is not constrained by any of the barriers or obstacles that we as human beings have created. Philip is led to an Ethiopian eunuch who we know from the scripture had some sort of relationship with Judaism since he had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Luke doesn't explain exactly what that relationship was. He simply said he had gone to Jerusalem to worship. What we see here is a gospel that transcends racial, ethnic, religious, and societal barriers. As an Ethiopian, he was obviously a different nationality and a different skin color than Philip. As a eunuch, he wouldn't have been able to practice Judaism in its fullness, which may have been an obstacle for Philip, who was a Jew. According to Deuteronomy 23.1 and Leviticus 21.17-21, as a eunuch, he would have been denied access to the religious assembly with others and would have been denied the ability to give offerings to God, but that did not stand in the way of Philip sharing Jesus. Despite all the boundaries to the gospel that could have gotten in the way between Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, God was bigger than their differences. He was bigger in that moment than any obstacles that were present. And this is a powerful reminder that sharing the gospel should not be limited to those that look and act like us. The gospel is for everyone, and we should act accordingly. It's not bound by culture, nationality, economic status, religious expression, career, geographical location. The good news is the good news for everybody. Jesus is for everybody. Which means that sometimes we need to step outside of our comfort zones. And share the good news with people that may look very different from us. Who may act very different from us. Or who may be perceived as less than by others because of some artificial boundary that we create. There are no boundaries when it comes to the gospel's transformative power in people's lives. Which brings me to our take-home point this morning. The message of the gospel is unleashed through the church as we partner with the Holy Spirit to proclaim the story of Jesus to the world. Again, the message of the gospel is unleashed through the church as we partner with the Holy Spirit to proclaim the story of Jesus to the world. Here's some questions for reflection for us to think about today and as we go through our week. Question number one. What do I believe that the gospel is? This is something that is really, really important for us to get a hold of. If we don't know what the gospel is, if we can't answer 
that question for ourselves, how can we ever begin to share it with others? So I invite you to think long and hard this week. What do I believe the gospel is? Question number two. What are the ways that the gospel has been communicated to me? What was effective in my life when people shared the gospel with me? What did I respond to? Question number three. What are the ways that I am intentional about sharing the gospel, the good news with others? And number four. Who is one person that God is leading me to share the gospel with in the next couple of weeks? Each of us are tasked with a message to share with the world. A message about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who was crucified and raised from the dead to bring salvation to the world. A message that changes people's lives and turns worlds upside down. A message that breaks down barriers, brings hope and liberation. A message that sets captives free and brings healing to the world. A message about how Jesus brings us into right relationship with God and sets us on a course as a new creation. Created for good works to proclaim the coming kingdom of God. Jesus unleashed that message to the world through the apostles and then to the disciples who came after them. And ultimately, that message has been entrusted to us right here, right now, to pass along to others to make more disciples. May we be committed to bear witness to the good news of Jesus Christ the world. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you again thankful for your word, thankful for how it can speak into our lives, how it can be transformative for us. Father, we pray that you would help us to think seriously about the times, the places that we share our faith, the people that we share our faith with. Help us to have courage to overcome fear when it comes to evangelism. Help us, Lord, to follow the leading of your spirit when we sense it, to invest in people's lives, to show them love and to share our faith. Lord, help us to go into the world to boldly proclaim the gospel. Lord, we pray that we would be able to trust you with the outcomes and the processes to trust that your spirit is at work in us, through us, and in and through the people that we seek to share our faith with. We pray these things in and through the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.